Welcome to Decarbonizing Commerce, where we explore what's new, interesting, and actionable at the intersection of climate innovation and commerce. I'm your host, Keith Anderson, and together we'll meet entrepreneurs and innovators reinventing retail, e-commerce, and consumer products through the lenses of low carbon and commercial viability. Welcome to the Decarbonizing Commerce Podcast. I'm Keith Anderson. And when a guest tells me one of the things they're most looking forward to over the next few years is the dawn of 2D barcodes, I know we have a winner on our hands. Seriously, this episode has something for everybody. AI, dynamic pricing, electronic shelf labels, 2D barcodes. My guest is David Cutt. SVP Business Development for Wasteless, which is using AI to dynamically price and mark down perishables, helping grocers sell what they otherwise might have wasted. Uh, David has been with the business nearly since its founding, and he's got a really informed perspective on the challenges and the opportunities of using dynamic pricing and markdowns to uh, help mitigate food waste in brick and mortar grocery in a way that is really accretive to earnings. Uh, so I'm excited for you to hear from David and get to know Wasteless. David, good to see you. Thanks so much for joining the show. Thanks, uh, Keith. Great uh, being here um, from uh, Amsterdam. Yeah, I appreciate uh, the time difference. Scheduling is always an adventure and uh, it's good to have you with us. So I thought you could kick us off just by telling us a bit about how you ended up at Wasteless in your career. Yeah, so, I've, uh, so I'm an Amsterdam native. I lived in London for a couple of years in Paris. Um, started in publishing right when uh, at the advent of the internet. So uh, I worked with a company that eventually bought AC Nielsen. Uh, and I was uh, an online publisher there. And then uh, like working with data, started a couple of uh, companies of my own. And then I was approached by one of the, uh, one of the founders of a company, one, uh, a founder who I knew from a previous company. Uh, and he asked me to, to help him. And um, it's uh, Odette Omer. Uh, he had just uh, exited a data for food company, an IoT company, uh, they sold it to AB InBev, the biggest brewer, beer brewer in the world. And he told me of his um, findings in data for food, told me that uh, data for food is, uh, can be extremely profitable, uh, but that uh, he was not uh, in this world to make big, big brewers even more profitable uh, in the long run. So, uh, And he saw that in the food system, there's a couple of real issues that are hurting the entire planet and we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll go into that in a second. And he said food waste, even in, in, in the beer, uh, like bars and restaurants, is, is a huge thing. And then he started investigating um, where, how the causes are of food waste. And he discovered that um, in grocery retail, about almost 90% of food waste is caused by products running out of expiration date. And when you're a data for food person and you hear the word expiration date, you might think that might be a date problem. There might also be a date solution. So, uh, so they investigated and they come up, they realized that uh, if you go to your local supermarket, there's um, 
food with different dates and the same price. So different values, but the same price. And that's, uh, that's really driving food waste. So he asked me to investigate and, um, uh, well, lo and behold, uh, before I knew it, I, uh, I, uh, I joined as, uh, right at the start, we had our first beta and I've been with the company now for six years. That's great. So for those that may not be as familiar with what Wasteless does, can you just walk us through the technology and where it fits into a grocer's operations? Sure. So, you know, grocers, there's a lot to admire in what grocers do. It's a, it's a tremendously, uh, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a tremendous job to get all these products at the right time, at the right moment in a, in a, in a, in a grocer uh, to keep the shelves uh, filled. But in this tremendous uh, Herculean uh, uh, labor, something goes tremendously wrong as well because supermarkets, grocers know about the inventory, know about the quantities, and they have no visibility whatsoever on the freshness of their fresh produce. Um, and uh, that's, a, that's a massive problem that surely we'll, we'll discuss. We are solving that massive problem by applying dynamic markdowns, optimal pricing. So we're looking at the vintage, the expiration date that is most likely to expire on the shelf. And we do price experiments, multiple per day, per item, where we're trying to get an item sold rather than let it expire on the shelf. And there is billions for supermarkets to be earned uh, by selling foods that they would otherwise discard. So I heard you say fresh. Are you focused entirely on perishables or are you also working with shelf-stable foods that have an expiry date or a Best Buy date? So um, what we're seeing is that um, food waste is a massive problem and it's also a massive opportunity. And food waste is mostly, uh, most it occurs mostly in products that have a, shelf life of between two up to 30 days. So our algorithm, uh, our reinforcement model, so it's, it's, it's an, a self-improving machine learning model, uh, gives like the, the low hanging fruit is really in, 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 in perishables. Uh, shelf stable is kind of a, like a bonus, but we, we we're not gonna make those kind of return on investments uh, uh, on, on the cookies. That we would be uh, that we would do on the, on the meat, dairy, uh, ready-made meals, convenience food. Got it. And you said that the the grocers don't often have an idea of when these goods are going to expire. Uh, I, I assume in, in a conventional operating model, they've got staff that are going and inspecting the produce on a daily basis. Uh, where does the data in your platform come from? Yeah, so <clears throat> I love it where you, that you're that you're, you're you're very familiar, obviously, with uh, with the way grocers work. So they're sending staff on a daily basis to to check on the on the inventory, meaning that they that you're going to make the same mistakes day in day out. The the, the problems that you're finding today in in expiring products. You're also going to find tomorrow. 
So it's uh, it's very repetitive. repetitive. Um, we have a uh, a various ways of of of, of uh, uh, sucking up that data from the system from from the from the retailer system. So we're going to be we're using uh, replenishment data. We're using letdown messages, so we know what goes into the shelf on, on, onto the shelf into the store. Um, we stores typically lack a level of granularity where you can see not just the quantities, but also the time dimension of your inventory. And to prove our business case, we have them collect that data manually, which uh, is, a, is, a, is a 10, 15 minute uh, job per day. It's really part of the, of, the, of the grocery routine. That way we prove a business case that gives an ROI of 10 or 15x. And then you get into, into a conversation, a uh, partnership with a retailer where, you're, where we're showing that actually that manual collection of data is unnecessary and we're going to be integrating in more uh, parts of the business to understand, to actually get automatic feeds of, of uh, a stock in and of stock out, meaning uh, replenishment, uh, onboarding, but also a POS data and sales data. Because if we know that a, an item that we mark down is sold, we see that as a, as a successful price experiment and it reinforces our model. So I think many folks may be familiar with some of the uh, sort of third-party customer-facing platforms that are uh, doing dynamic markdowns uh, through a standalone application or something. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how this comes to life through uh, an online grocer's own site and, and then secondly, through the store. Uh, you know, this is, this is happening when somebody is browsing the online grocer site and they're seeing, depending on the, how, how close to the expiry date, they're seeing these prices in the context that they're typically shopping in, correct? Yeah. Well, we, we are focused on, uh, on uh, brick and mortar uh, grocery retail uh, because there the food waste problem is a, is a lot more pressing than in, than in well-run uh, online uh, grocers. Uh, uh, you know, a, a, a company like Ocado or Picnic here in the Netherlands, they actually know exactly, um, they, they, have a, they, have, they have a lot more data and a lot more insights and they do the, the picking themselves. The real problem occurs when you have a, a physical shopper, a consumer that goes onto the shelf, your neatly stacked shelf, and is like going to the back of the the back of the shelf, rips everything apart because they don't like the uh, the shelf life that's left on the on the on the customer facing uh, side of the of the shelf. Um, so we and we see that in those retailers, not only is about ninety percent of their food waste um, caused by products running out of expiration date, it's a massively costly problem. If you go in the U.S., and this is uh, refed uh, Deloitte data, um, the, uh, this is data from 2019, um, the cost price, the purchasing price of the foods that U.S. retailers 
uh, uh, waste is oh is like around it's around 18.2 billion dollars however if you compare that to the ebit the combined ebit of those us retailers the ebit is only 9 billion so the purchasing price of what they're throwing out is double their ebit well then you have a if if i tell this to us to a cfo or a ceo you've uh, you, you you get uh, you you uh, get their attention because what we do is we don't just sell the the wasted foods, you don't just sell it at cost price, you sell it with a margin. So we're actually able to, uh, to sell it with a substantial margin. Uh, we just mark down by 20, 25% on average. And we prevent more than half of the food waste. So that's, 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 a, that's a significant uh, positive impact on your bottom line. To put to put to put that in perspective, uh, EY or Young in Germany calculated that grocery retailers with dynamic pricing, like we do, can improve their EBIT by ten percent. And we're we're actually with U.S. retailers, even we're we're showing that it's more than ten percent EBIT uh, growth. You know, it's it's interesting. Uh, you mentioned the EY study. I also saw an academic study that. Uh, I think was done in partnership with Mariano's and Roundy's here in the U.S. that similarly found that uh, dynamic pricing was more effective than some of the other approaches to mitigating food waste. I don't know if you saw the same study. Yeah, from uh, out of uh, U.S. Uh, UC Davis in San Diego. I think that's. I think so. Is. I'd have to check my notes, but uh, I think so. So we we, con we, contrib we contribute data to that. I mean, to, if it's uh, USC Davis, we contributed uh, data from our retailers to uh, to actually substantiate those uh, those uh, those claims. Gotcha. So, in a brick and mortar grocery environment, one question I have is about the price execution. That is, you know, if you're somewhat dynamically marking down. Uh, it, it strikes me if you're in a chain that's got electronic shelf labels and you can link to those, uh, it's pretty straightforward. But how is it happening in the formats that don't have those yet? Yeah. Um, so uh, electronic shelf labels really make this straightforward. And those are often uh, difficult uh, investment decisions. And we are obviously changing the paradigm on, on, on the on the return on investment on those, if you manage to leverage them. Uh, in U.S. retailers that we're working with at the moment uh, in the Midwest, uh, we're uh, using, uh, we were actually uh, upgrading their existing markdown process. So where they would usually put a sticker with 50% discount or 40% discount, uh, they're scanning the, the items they're telling us the, the actual inventory and the, 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 the shelf life of that uh, inventory, and we then print the stickers. It's by no means ideal because it's uh, the, you know it's 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 a uh, you need staff training etc. However, we're using this to 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 prove a tremendous business case where we're uh, we're increasing margins substantially, and then you can take additional steps to actually get more data into the food system. And I wholeheartedly believe that more data in the food system will help this, this tremendous industry 
to to make to make a next step, and it's a required next step uh, because margins are low, and it's it's all it's all okay because the volumes are so massive. But uh, imagine you can you can lift your margins by 20, 30, 40, 50 percent. Then suddenly the entire paradigm of um, food pricing and uh, paying suppliers and even food waste are, 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 are changing. And this is something that we're, uh, that we're really seeing happening slowly, but pretty surely. Have you learned much about the consumer response? That's the other thing that I, I see about some of these uh, dynamic markdown and pricing models is, particularly in certain economic environments, there seems to be a lot of consumer demand for product that's uh, still good, but they're finding it at a, at a savings. You know, we, we just did a episode with a recently funded company based in the U.S., uh, Marty, yep. that's sort of a national uh, closeout platform for shelf-stable foods. But when you look at their value proposition, uh, it's so focused on the pretty extreme savings they're offering to shoppers. Are, are you seeing something similar? You don't even need pretty extreme savings on, on fresh food. Um, but ex- this is exactly what we do. So we gauge all the time the price elasticity of perishable fresh food, fresh produce, not just, but with, a, with the additional insights of, uh, of shelf life. So we call this freshness sensitivity. It's the likelihood of a consumer to forgo a little bit of freshness or a little bit of shelf life for a slightly lower price. And we run price experiments on a continuous basis. If you have electronic shelf labels as a retailer, we would do this three, four times a day. And we're trying to find the the sweet spot where price and consumer appetite meet. And uh, it changes all the time and it's, it's specific per store, per product, time of day, day of the week. Uh, and we're, we're, and this is, and this is where really, where reinforcement learning and AI steps in because it's humanly impossible. Even if you're, if you're a, a very, very experienced uh, supermarket uh, uh, associate to exactly price those thousands of items. Uh, at the exact right time, and that's what we do. And AI can uh, can do this, uh, can support the the associates, and can if you if if retailers integrate, can actually do this completely automatically. So you can free up associates to deliver more services, because uh, that's that's what that's what AI ideally, obviously, uh, uh, achieves. Well, that raises a good point. Uh, I, I confess, I'm not up to speed the way I once was on dynamic pricing, but that balance uh, between sort of uh, human intervention and uh, autopilot for as long as I've been working in this area has been an interesting topic. Are are there rules-based constraints that your customers are putting on what the platform can do? Are are you looking at cross-elasticities with other products or on a basket level, I, I mean, this this dynamic pricing world can get pretty sophisticated and complicated pretty quickly. Yeah. So, <clears throat> human intervention or business rules uh, 
are typically gut feel. So we try to dissuade them as much as possible. Obviously, we won't uh, mark down beyond a certain discount percentage. So that would, there will always be like a threshold there. Um, but for example, you know, the influence of the weather, you can't write a business rule. What happens if there's a blizzard or there isn't a blizzard? Because imagine like then you would have to kind of weigh if the blizzard lasts 12 hours, what's the, what's the weight factor as opposed to 24 hours. And when it's like, you know, so it's, so we tend to use as little business rules as possible. The core of the matter is that it has to always fit with the strategy and the policy and the philosophy of the retailer. So a retailer has a certain way of dealing with his customer. That's what they really know best. And that's, that's really there. That's a, that's a tremendous asset that we will leverage. And then we leverage it with our data insights where we try to uh, mark down as little as possible. And as little as like, so we try to extend discounts that are uh, the minimum that we can get away with. And at the exact right moment, because no, no retailer is interested in, in, in extending discounts in the blinds, yeah, beyond which where you by the to. way is what they're doing at the moment. They're discounting food that they don't really have to discount just because it's policy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and when you say, you know, they've got their strategy and, and it integrates or it, it aligns with their strategy. It, does that include things like competitive pricing? Are you linking in any way to a loyalty program? Uh, to we we haven't yet, but obviously that's that's really where the where the sweet spot is. So once you have data in the food system, uh, you can leverage the data uh, uh, upstream and downstream. Imagine you know uh, I have two dollars. Imagine that uh, every Monday night. I shop and I don't, I buy four times the minced meat amount that I buy on any other day in the week. It's because my girls come back from uh, soccer training and bring back four friends. I'm, I'm cooking pasta bolognese. That pasta bolognese doesn't need a shelf life of another five days because it's going to be devoured in four hours time. So if you add loyalty card data, you see that I am, and my appetite for discounted food uh, in large quantities is bigger on the Monday. So, and you can extend, um, if you're not talking about meat, but other food stuff, you can extend points for sustainable purchasing behavior, or you can, uh, you can actually, um, uh, send people, uh, messages that their favorite food is at a discount if you, if you shop tonight. So there's, once you work it into the loyalty program, then, uh, individualized, personalized um, policies that take freshness of, of perishable items into account suddenly become a reality. Uh, and that's, that's where we're headed, but we, uh, we, haven't, uh, we haven't done those cases yet. So if any of your, uh, any of your, uh, your, uh, your fan base is interested, uh, we're, uh, we're uh, extremely keen as well. Opportunity to be a first mover. You've mentioned be a good, be a good, be a good, be a good mover. It's just, it's not just about being good at first. It's about being doing it right. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I agree. 
you know, you mentioned the value of data a few times, uh, and we've we've really focused so far on the grocery side of the equation. Is there value in this data for suppliers? Uh, definitely. And the low-hanging fruit is for integrated supermarkets, where they're overdimensioning uh, food production because they you don't you know you don't want uh, empty shelves. So and an integrated supermarket is losing every step of the way if you're going uh, going upstream uh, because of this lack of data. So we, we've been talking to CEOs of, of some of the largest retailers in the world that really, they really got this. That you could really, we had a discussion, they asked a couple of questions, they suddenly understood that they could actually turn part of their supply chain around into a more demand-driven production system. Uh, uh, but also we're, we're, we're seeing that a lot of producers, and this is... Uh, Maybe difficult to wrap your head around, but a lot of suppliers know that a substantial part of what they're uh, what they're producing is never going to be uh, consumed. But they also know that if they start consuming to match demand in a better way, that they can actually produce less and uh, and uh, obtain higher prices per, per per quantity per unit. So. It's a bit of a perverse system where you're just uh, focused on, on quantities and production and sales. Once you start understanding, collaborating around data, there's a tremendous opportunity that, by the way, Boston Consultancy Group calculated already in August 2019. They calculated that more um, collaboration around data in the food system is a $400 billion opportunity. It's a, it's a, it's a very useful study, and uh, I'm, I'm, I try to quote it at least once a day. So I tick my box for today. I can't believe that I, I haven't come across that one because uh, I, I've also spent a lot of my career focused on data in food and CPG. I'll, I'll, sh I'll share the report so maybe you can, uh, you can stick it in the, in the, in the notes for the, for the podcast. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, Along with the other study that you mentioned you contributed to, anything like that that you think would help enrich uh, listeners' understanding of this topic and what's working, I think we're always happy to include. That's a very valuable remark because this is not just marketing fluff. It's not just PowerPoints and, uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, there's, there's a scientific basis underpinning it. So also our models are, are uh, developed uh, by a professor in uh, UC Davis. Um, and that's why we contribute a lot of our data to academia because it's, it's no good that a supplier like us, you know, like a software company uh, blows their own uh, trumpet. It's really about verifying data because that's the only way that will become smarter and, and uh, get rid of this scourge of food waste uh, uh, one day. Food waste, uh, you know, the WWF calculated that up to 40% of all the food produced is never consumed. And uh, then if you do the math, you understand that uh, about 11% of all greenhouse gas emissions are 
wasted food. So, so every, you know, every, every tangible, uh, scalable, impactful reduction that we can achieve is, uh, there's a lot of leverage and a lot of mileage there. Yeah, agreed. Uh, it, it's already emerged as uh, one of maybe five major themes in what we're focused on. Uh, and as I'm sure you know, a, a huge percentage of food waste happens at the household level, but there's a lot that happens upstream. And so much of what I think we find fascinating are these uh, mechanisms that are easily integrated and embedded in ways that we already know uh, people shop and buy and consume that, you know, are still economically and commercially viable. Uh, and in, in some cases, not just viable, but, you know, really accretive to margins and earnings and uh, work with work with existing behaviors. So obviously yeah. some of what we're going to have to do is going to involve significantly changed behavior either on the consumer's part or the ways that we work. But these are really interesting areas where uh, you're not changing what you're doing so fundamentally, but you're still able to make an impact. Sure. And the beauty about the food system is that as a consumer, you can make a decision three times a day. And basically preventing food waste is uh, there's a double, it's, you know, it's a double whammy. If you save money, and you can feel good about it as well. So there's really this, this dopamine rush uh, by finding a good offer, finding a good discount for something you want to eat anyway or that, that, you, that, you, that really whets your appetite, but that you also know that it's, that it's, it's completely, or not completely, but it's, it's guilt-free. There's less guilt than, uh, I'm not, I shouldn't even talk about guilt, but it, it kind of, you know you're doing, you're doing, it, you're doing something good, while you're also taking good care of your family or your friends. I mean, that, that actually highlights something that I hadn't thought about until you mentioned it and we haven't discussed. Is this being communicated to the shopper in any way beyond simply a different price than earlier in the day or yesterday? Uh, typically it is. So, uh, and, uh, and we help retailers with the marketing idea of it. So we have marketing in Spanish and in Italian and in all these countries where we're, uh, where we're active. Um, but not always. Some retailers, they don't really want to talk about sustainability. They don't really want to talk about food waste. They just want to talk about value. Uh, but more and more demographics are also in the US uh, are interested in, uh, you know, uh, getting a good deal for, for doing something uh, for for doing a good act. So I, I really think it's very strong. Um, being sustainable doesn't make things more expensive. You know, you don't have to buy a Tesla to be sustainable. Uh, you, you can also just eat differently. And, uh, and, 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 and actually the impact is, is a lot larger and a lot more immediate. Uh, so it's so it's so Saving money and saving the planet is really within grasp of uh, of large swaths of the of the population. Yeah, I, uh, I wonder if there are examples that we can share with uh, the audience of what it looks like. Uh, that might be interesting. 
En, I'll, 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 I'll show you some photos. I'll show you some photos from Germany, from Italy. Yeah, it, it sounds really beautiful in Italian. It's like uh, sprezzatura alimentaria, food waste. That sounds a lot more poetic, doesn't it? Well, and, and I think it's interesting, even if there's no reference to food waste or sustainability, uh, part of my curiosity is, are shoppers aware that the price is lower? Or is this all based on their own mental price anchors? They're made aware because you you give them the, the the option. Do you want a product with a longer shelf life that you can stick in the back of your fridge? Or are you going to eat a sandwich anyway today or a piece of meat anyway in two days? And you don't really need it to have another five days. Uh, yeah, got it. And and, you, and, that, and that's really what we do. So the freshness sensitivity is making people aware of how special it is that we have, that we're able to put food on our tables. How that it's, it's not just, it's not just a, a given. It's really something that, uh, that, that, that has to be valued. And uh, we're, we're showing that, that price reflects that freshness uh, as well. So it's, uh, it's purely economical, but there's also a very strong psychological uh, uh, marketing angle to it. Hey folks, this is the part of the show where we say thank you and see you soon to the general audience, plus and higher tier members of Decarbonize.co. Stay tuned for the rest of the episode. Well, I wish we had more time, David because now you've got me thinking about uh, hunger and how that fits into all of this. But unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. If people want to connect with you or learn more about Wasteless, where would you direct them? Um, you can go to wasteless.com or email me at david at wasteless.com or uh, look us up on, the, on LinkedIn. Uh, but we're going to be at... I just returned from NRF in New York. We're going to be there as well. We're very active in the U.S. So, um, will you be at any other conferences over the next few months? Uh, my CEO uh, was just at uh, uh, was it FMI uh, this week, last week. Um, I, I, I'm thinking of going to a Refat conference. Yes. So, any any suggestions of anywhere where you're going and where, where you think we should uh, we should be. Uh, Continuing this conversation with a couple of uh, decision makers. Uh, this is not an advertisement, but I'll be at Shop Talk in Vegas in March, and uh, they have a sister event that is typically in September, in October. If memory serves. Uh, well, that's true, but they run another one in the U.S. called Grocery Shop. Okay. Uh, okay. That's yeah. even more targeted. There's food tracks at the big one, but. Uh, you, you know, that's one to our discussion before we started recording. Uh, you, you won't typically find sustainability practitioners or a big focus on sustainability as a discipline, but it is one of the events where a lot of the folks, to your point, with decision rights and budgets uh, convene. And so, anyway. Yeah. It, well, it I, I, anyway, I, pre I, pre I prefer to talk about enhancing performance of retailers by preventing food waste rather than the other way around. It's sure. food waste is really, it's really where you can make a tremendous financial impact and uh, reduce your carbon footprint. 
but it's the I think it's the the, it's the financial impact that is really the driver. So let's uh, let's let's see if we can uh, get something together for uh, for grocery uh, grocery shopping uh, uh, after the summer. There you go. Maybe we'll see you there. Well, David, thanks again for joining. Thanks very much for uh, for inviting us for having us, and uh, I'll. Uh, I'll make sure that there's some uh, links uh, to uh, to research uh, in the uh, the library notes. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening. I'm Keith Anderson, the executive producer and host of Decarbonizing Commerce. Sonic Futures handles audio, music, and video production. If you enjoy the show, we'd really appreciate it if you took a moment to subscribe and leave a review or share it with a colleague. For the full episode and more member-exclusive insight and analysis, join the Decarbonizing Commerce community at decarbonize.co. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of Decarbonizing Commerce.